Hello and welcome to the AV Forums podcast for Wednesday, the 20th of January. January's nearly over with already, really. Uh, what's happened to the month? Uh, it, it was only New Year's about 20 days ago. Seems like a long, lot longer than that, Phil. It, it does a bit. It really does. I think CES has that effect on you, doesn't it? It's, it's almost like a whole year that you're there. Anyway, uh, joining me on this edition, Assistant Editor Steve Withers. I see you've managed to get your shirt off. And News Editor Mark Hodgkinson. Whoever wrote this episode should die. And Audio Reviewer Ed Sally. What a savings. Welcome back to the podcast. We didn't mention the sad passing of David Bowie last week um, on the podcast. And then not long after we recorded the podcast, in fact on Thursday, uh, after the podcast went out on a Wednesday, we sadly lost Alan Rickman, which was, you know, both of them, a bit of a shock. I think they'd kept it quiet that, that both were suffering and fighting against cancer. And sadly, um, both of them have lost their battle. And at the same age of 69 as well, I mean, this it seems to be... Um, well, 2016 hasn't been a great start to the year for some people. No, it's really depressing. I mean, I got off the plane with you from CES the day Bowie died and drove home listening to Bowie, just like coincidentally, because I, I had the new album ordered. Got home, opened the post box, pulled out Black Star, showed it to Laura and said, oh, look, Black Star. And she went, haven't you heard the news? I went, what news? And he went, Bowie's dead. And I, and I was, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm mad enough to admit this. I actually started to cry a little bit because I've been a massive, massive, massive Bowie fan since I was a kid. And, um, Obviously, not knowing that he wasn't even ill, it was a huge shock. I mean, because you kind of think Bowie's immortal, you know, it's, it's Bowie, for God's sake. And um, listening to the album after that, put it in a whole new light, um, you know, it is, it is um, tinged with death, shall we say. Well, you see, um, the, the fact that he was 69, that kind of, I thought he was a lot older than that, just because he seems like he's been around forever. Yeah, you realise that by the time he got to sort of 1980, and he'd done probably the most consistently brilliant body of work of any musical artist in history in a space of 10 years he was about <laughs> about 30 yeah <laughs> or 35 i mean really not that old at all uh, you know it's incredible yeah, and I, I mean look at you steve you're what nearly 50 mm. and uh what have you done 50, in your done life <laughs> still yet to get your debut album out the door slacker <laughs> well ah ah having said all that though if you look at how old alan ripman was when he was in die hard he was 39 so he's a bit of a late bloomer wasn't he really in terms of his right. film career okay i thought he was older than that i thought he was 40 well, it's a big psychological difference. I'll say one thing for both of them. I think they both exited in a very dignified manner. Yes, definitely. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, they're both class acts, um, both in terms of the way they lived their lives and in terms of the way that they departed this world. And Bowie, from what I've read about him, and I've read a lot of his biographies and read a lot about him, he was not just a genius. And I genuinely mean that. I mean, I think that word's used far too frequently in, in these days but he was a proper genius he was also a really really nice person and that's unusual i suspect in that business yeah i mean the thing with Barry as well is that there was just as much crap as there was absolute masterpiece you know it it, it was such a varied background <laughs> well, yeah. yeah but that's because he was always it was always about innovating always about pushing boundaries using yeah, yeah totally technology totally. to start the time and ultimately if you do that what was it 28 times Sooner or later, you know, there's going to be some greatness and there's going to be some not at all greatness. So t- yeah. The law of averages in that regard. Even his Duff albums have good stuff on them. I mean, look, no one's going to say that tonight's a good album because it isn't. Um, and it's got the world's worst cover of uh, God Only Knows. But um, in amongst that, there's things like Loving the Alien, which is a great song. Um, and also, he, if you notice, and this is really nice of him, he would quite frequently cover songs he'd co-written by, with Iggy Pop in order to give Iggy some money through, through the publishing royalties. He put Boland's son through school after Mark Boland died. He, he was a genuinely decent bloke. And, you know, I think uh, I haven't heard anyone who's had a bad word to say about David Bowie 
So genius. And, you don't spend and, enough time on Twitter. I I completely agree with <laughs> you. I, I saw one guy I... moaning about him saying, "Oh, he was uh, he was a fascist and everything." In 1975, he made some ill-advised statements, but he was playing a character. He was playing the thin white duke who was meant to be a fascist dictator. So I think he just got a bit carried away. Plus, let's be honest, he was addled with cocaine at the time. I, I mean, he's clearly he's not a racist. He married a black woman. Um, he's been nothing but a decent person and a libertarian his entire life. And um, yeah, I would have a bad word said against him. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Alan Rickman, his, his best performance would be? I don't know. There's a couple to choose from. We debated this, didn't we, on Friday, Ed? <laughs> um, there's, there's two Alan Rickmans because you sort of, you have to sort of separate some of the sort of real scene-stealing stuff, the diehards, the Prince of Thieves, the Galaxy Quest of this world, with, with actually him turning in some really quite understated stuff i mean i have to admit truly madly deeply is not my favorite film of all time my mother loves it which may or may not say something but um but it's that's he's really really good in that and differently good to you know running around yelling that he's going to take your insides out with a spoon i mean it's it's a demonstration that there's more than just the the cartoon villainy to it um i mean i rewatched galaxy quest over the weekend and just the combination of how brilliantly he plays someone so utterly fed up with at the same time still <laughs> chewing the scenery is just fantastic. In many ways, uh, I, we said in the unrecorded, the preamble bit of the podcast last week, I have a tremendous amount of time for David Bowie, not so much because of his catalogue, some of which I like. A lot of which I can quite contentedly not listen to ever again. But the amount of artists that I do love that trace inspiration to him, Rickman is just gutting because fundamentally the sort of roles that Alan Rickman was exceptional at, him being superannuated would not have been a, too much of an issue to him continuing to do them. You couldn't easily say that his best years were behind him, not least because, as he pointed out earlier on, he didn't crack on until middle age. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm I'm really, really down about Alan Rickman, more so in many ways than, than, than Bowie. I, I don't like Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, but I love the fact that he stole that entire film from under Kevin <laughs> Costner's nose. That in itself is funny. And that's despite the fact that Costner had large chunks of of Rickman cut out of the film because he was stealing it so much he still stole the film but for my money Die Hard first feature film in it, first of all that's his first feature film he's absolutely brilliant and you're only as good as your villain when you're playing a hero and he's one of the great one of the all-time great um, Hans Gruber one of the all-time great movie villains in quite simply the best action film ever made yeah he's never gonna I mean he was ever gonna top his first film but he's done it he's never been anything but brilliant in everything he's done and he can do it all he could do serious he could do um comedy I think he's quite touching in Love Actually as well Um, I was was just gonna mention that mm. I mean I confess that I um I'm not particularly fond of Harry Potter either in books or cinematic forms but it would appear from the uh the outpouring of people who were a norm, quite a bit younger than me, and so on and so forth. I mean, he he obviously got himself a whole new group of fans through through being Snape, and mm. you know, whilst it's not for me to judge whether he was a good one or not, I didn't really bother with the books. Um, he 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 seems to have got the job done. So yeah, you know, he was still knocking them out of the park. Poor Emma Watson, where he got absolutely slaughtered on. Twitter, <laughs> I don't think she really deserved that, to be honest. No, she do. <laughs> she basically put a quote up that that Rickman had made about feminism, 
and basically oh, yeah. everybody just said, "Oh, you're just using your friend's death to further your own your own purpose and your own career and your own ideas of things." And uh, she got absolutely slaughtered on Twitter. Well, it's all about virtue signalling, isn't it? Not a fan myself, but it's it's the done thing. You've got to show that you're right on and you care about stuff without actually doing anything about it. Just stick some shit up on your timeline and you're laughing. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, you basically just described the modern right, world, I mean, to be honest. Okay, so uh, let's move on swiftly. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, so we have some current competitions and we also have some competition winners. So, uh, Mark, tell us all about it. Okay, so the current competition is a copy of Tora 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 on Blu-ray, and that one's open. Which, which translated means? Ball, ball, ball. Attack, no, attack, Toro, attack. isn't it? A Toro, yes. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, attack, attack, attack. Thanks, Ed. Um, what language is that? Spanish? Japanese. Japanese. Yeah, that's what I thought. Phil Harbour, so that's a clue. I've got to say, I've never heard of it. <laughs> the, the, the Spanish were behind Phil Harbour, wasn't it? <laughs> Yeah, the, 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 the Sp- Spanish bullfighting. Watching Animal House where, where Pluto goes and when the Germans bomb Pearl Harbor. Isn't it? <laughs> well, as you can see, I'm completely unaware of this movie. Uh, anyway, moving it's on. a very good film. And it, it, it has it's quite exacting attention to detail as well. I'll, I'll, I'll enter the uh, competition. Um, previous competition winners is Lesoir, who won the oh, we good prize. He won the Yamaha RX A three zero four zero courtesy of Scan. And Norley, so I'm sure has won something before, probably a Blu-ray. He won a copy of Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, not Rouge Nation, on Blu-ray. Oh. I said it right. Quite proud. You did say it right, and um, I'll come back to that pronunciation later on in this podcast. I think, Mark, I've got a bone to pick with you. Which one? Oof. I'll, I'll come back to you later. All right. Mm, right. Get scared okay. now. You better, hope it, you better hope it doesn't get cut out. Anyway, <laughs> right, moving on. Yeah, good point. Hard- <laughs> Hardware news. Um, I'm going to let Steve do some talking this week because I kind of took over uh, last time. So Hisense have announced uh, sponsorship of of the well the Euro 2016 Championships uh, plus other uh, Euro- European competitions as well. So uh, quite a big deal for them, I think. I mean, obviously they've been uh, sponsoring Red Bull for a couple of years now, um, and that's given them some exposure globally. But uh, in certainly in Europe, this is going to be really, really big exposure for Hisense. I mean, if if they aren't that familiar a brand at the moment, I should imagine that after the summer they will be a much, much more familiar brand in this country particularly because, I mean, there's going to be big, big viewing numbers for the Euro Championships over, over the summer holiday, over the summer months. Um, when is it, June? Is it June or July? Up until the quarterfinals in this country. I mean. uh, oh, yeah, quite. <laughs> um, <laughs> what, you think you're so, even going to get to the yeah, quarterfinals? You'd be lucky to get with the group. Oh, we've got um, two referees. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, aren't Wales in our group? Yeah, they're going to absolutely hammer you. Bloody hell, that could be tricky. Mark, did you say that Sharp... Uh, yeah, Sharp had the... Um, had it last time, the TV branding last time with the 2012 championships, yeah. But uh, yeah, I think it's, it's certainly, I mean, I believe, uh, Phil, you mentioned that, um, to me last week, reminded me last week that Howard Grinrod, who is the um, managing director of Hisense in the UK, did sort of allude to it when we met with him at CES. And um, I think this is, you know, it's, it shows that, that Hisense are a, a serious brand who want to be taken seriously. And this kind of sponsorship certainly will, will raise their profile. I, you know, it's... Shows that they they mean business in Europe. Yeah, and of course it's it's not just TVs. You know, yeah. uh, obviously we take an interest because of TVs, but they're also a big mobile handset um, provider as well. And Look, white goods, they do yeah, a lot white of goods yeah, as well. refrigeration products. Yeah, so it seems like they've got a lot of bases covered, and um, makes sense to get the brand name out there. And, and what bigger stage to do it than 
you know, a major European final. I mean, obviously, the only bigger thing they could have done would, would have been the Olympics, but that's Panasonic's, and yeah. I don't see them giving that up anytime soon. If you, if you look at the other sponsors, uh, obviously sponsoring different product sectors, uh, we've got the likes of Adidas, Carlsberg, Coca-Cola, High and Dime, McDonald's, Orange. They're, they're really, up, you know, with the big global brands. Top-tier brands, yeah. Yeah. First Chinese company to uh, to be sponsors of UEFA competition. There you go. Lots of us. So, uh, that Thank will... you, Stato. <laughs> <It's all right>. <laughs> <laughs> nice to see you did some research for that story, Mark. I'm just so. reading it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, next up on the list is Netflix. Um, they're going to stop you accessing their content via DNS and uh, services like Unblock Us and so on. Um, good luck to them is all I will say, because I think this is, you know, reading between the lines, this is lip service being paid to content providers um, who they've signed licensing agreements with, because if Netflix was to close the back door, uh, I think they would more or less lose uh, a shed load of subscriptions straight away if people couldn't access other regions. I think that's particularly true. Don't doubt for a second it's going to, it would lose a chunk of users and very committed and otherwise quite enthusiastic users of the service. I was trying to cross-reference the number of UK users of this unblockers thing uh, versus the actual number of UK Netflix subscriptions, just by way of a percentage example of the actual number of people. And the long and the short of it is there's there's no really sort of obvious answer. It's not that large a number of group of people using vpns it would appear but as i say it is a very vocal and enthusiastic group of them That's so a different story in in australia though Ed, where i the can majority, imagine yeah the majority of people using netflix uh use, use foreign foreign services apparently. well i mean we've established in certain uh netflix spain is just soft porn and netflix <laughs> portugal is supposed to be dreadful as well so i it, obviously it will go up and down depending on country to country to country but I'm, i don't want to underplay the significance of this i don't know country to country to country what the percentage of people using the service are if it's very large in Australia that's fair enough I don't know what it is in the UK I I, I would say that a large number of people have never gone anywhere near anything like that there's some people that can't set it up on the tellers as well can't they no there are other other people are just so inept (laughs) that they uh, can't go anywhere near them so yeah they're they're, they're a different bunch of cretins do you think they're just playing lip service here just saying it so that oh totally yeah yeah, It's all part of this worldwide rollout, isn't it? That they're negotiating deals with content partners now that are that are supposed to be global. So I think they're insisting on on everything, you know, everything appearing uh, in all territories as they negotiate these new deals. So they're saying in twelve months' time, it's not going to really matter whether whether that's going to be true or not. I don't know. Well, I suppose they produce more of their own content too. I mean, most of the stuff I've watched on Netflix recently has been Netflix productions. Yeah, same. So, it, to be honest, it doesn't make any difference whether I'm watching it from the US or from the UK. Um, so maybe it will gradually become... It used to be a big deal maybe a couple of years ago, but I think gradually it's becoming less and less of an issue. Total lip service. <laughs> That's all <laughs> it is. Yeah, I, as, as you know, I spoke to uh, a friend who runs a DNS service, um, and he, he basically just said within minutes they'll be able to, to get a private IP uh, hide themselves away from Netflix and, and stream as they were, you know, before any uh, of the blocks put, are put in place. And, and it'll, they'll just choose, Netflix will just choose some of the big services like Hola. They'll block them for a while and they'll find a way around it and that'll be that. So, yeah, it is total lip service as, as we've... Well, I mean, just reading reading the thread uh, attached to the news story, it seems like everybody that's using the services um, could still use the services. Um, they've not done it yet, that's why they're not blocked yet. Have they not? No. 
Yeah, I did check on Friday actually, but mine was fine. So apart yeah, from they've the, not, they've not done it. Check. It was in the coming weeks, isn't it? So it wasn't it wasn't an immediate thing. Oh. Which is surprising they're taking so long to do it because they've obviously known about they're giving everyone years. plenty of warning to circumvent yeah. it before they get yeah. around to it. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't use. I used to use a VPN to get around things, but I don't. I don't bother now because I think there's there's plenty on there to keep me busy because I don't watch tend to watch that much anyway. But um, I, I would imagine anybody that uses a lot of the content. I mean, what can you get at the moment US wise? It's not available over here. Is there anything specific? Lawrence of Arabia in 4K. That's the only thing I can think of. I know there's a bit, there'll be other stuff. Ooh, that's been about my interest. That's actually <laughs> quite interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's the one I've, I've aimed at when I've got three hours, 50 minutes spare. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it could be an interesting year for Netflix because, I mean, obviously they made that an announcement at CES that they were going to go global. I think it's 190 countries in total, yeah. um, which is a lot of territories compared to what they, they cover at the moment. But there are other things as well, like Dolby Vision being made available from their streaming service, uh, Dolby Atmos soundtracks on stuff as well. So, you know, there's a lot of interesting things happening with Netflix in terms of upping the game and upping the quality. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, how that is rolled out over the year and being able to access those services and what the quality is actually like. Because I've got to say, you know, looking at their 4K content, and I, I do admit I have a, a really good internet connection steve the the quality is you know really really good i would say blu-ray standard for 4k if not a bit sharper than than blu-ray i've been watching marco polo um i was gonna wait it looks looks fantastic that's amazing it looks so good it looks better than any blu-ray i've ever seen honestly yeah i've got um one thing i think will be interesting and you'll have to check this because i won't be able to but i wonder how uh hdr will be implemented on i mean it's already available i on Amazon and it will be available as you said to fill through Dolby Vision on Netflix but you know will it have the same kind of metadata and, and mapping technology that's being applied in UHD Blu-ray not at the moment because I couldn't get it to work on uh, Amazon no. for some strange so reason with, with HDR uh, projectors I couldn't get to play HDR and I also saw I was reading some threads on, on the forum and, and someone was saying that it's not that like they offer alternatives it's just the, the one thing so you know you should be able to select SDR or HDR version, shouldn't you? In order to, if your TV or projector as, as can't far, handle this. As far as I'm aware, Netflix already do that because if you plug it into a non 4K item, it doesn't uh, it doesn't show you the 4K options. Hmm. So it only shows you the 4K options if you plug it into a device that obviously talks to um, Netflix and tells them that it's a it's a 4K device. So I would imagine it's going to be the same with HDR. You know, the, the device will say yes, I can take Dolby. So that'll be down Atmos. to the app that the manufacturer puts into their TV, basically, right? Yeah, into the TVs. Yeah, standalone media players not necessarily understand how that's going to work either. I mean, it has to be HD, HDMI 2.0A anyway, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, which we don't have at the moment on the devices that play Netflix and Amazon. So, you know, that's that's an issue as well. That's what I found with the JVC, which we're going to come on and talk about. Um, in fact, we'll move on to that now. Um, that was one of the issues that I found with the X7000 projector. Because the Fire TV wasn't HDMI 2.0A, it wasn't sending any metadata to the JVC, so it wasn't switching it to HDR when I was watching stuff like um, Mozart in the Jungle. So it just it didn't pick up that it was HDR. And then even with the Sony VW520, when I fed it, the same signal, and then switched the HDR on, it looked all wrong. So obviously it wasn't getting HDR. So there's going to be some issues with that. The other thing before we move on to JVC actually is uh, Dolby Vision. They haven't said if it's going to be HDR10 baseline and any as it is on UHD Blu-ray. They haven't said whether that's going to be the case or whether it'll just be Dolby Vision. 
And if it's just Dolby Vision, then that cuts down your HDR experience on Netflix. Yeah, I can't. Yeah. Surely they're going to do HDR 10 as a you would, You would have thought so, Mark. Yeah. Otherwise, they're just going to be LG TVs in this country. You can watch it. Yeah, which, um, you know, that that's that's just cutting your market right down. You'd think it would make sense for for there to be an HDR 10. Anyway, let's move on to uh, the JVC X7000. Finally finished it. Uh, review will be up by the time this podcast goes up, hopefully. Um, the reason it hasn't been up beforehand... We did, well, I wrote it on the plane for a start. <laughs> it was because you haven't been around. <laughs> on the way to CES. And then uh, just thought, well, it's pointless putting it out while CES is going on because it would just get ignored. It would it disappear down the page. And I think it's a important enough product that gets its five minutes uh, of glory on the homepage and, and people can find it and read it. It's a really interesting machine. It's come down in price. So the X700 was about seven grand. Is that right? Six something or other? Yeah. yeah. Um, so this has come down two grand, basically. It's five and a half, I think. Yeah. So two grand off the price. Uh, it's a brighter bulb. Noticeably brighter because I've got an X700 here. Uh, fair enough, the X700's got 100 hours on it. But I put 40 hours onto the X7000 um, before I even started doing any um, review work at all on it and measurements and so on. And it's still noticeably brighter. In fact, I had to open the iris all the way on the X700 and then dial it all the way down on the 7000 to get them in the same ballpark of brightness. So that gives you an idea of just how, how much brighter it is. So does it raise the black level floor? It does if you've got the iris wide open. Um, but as I'm using it in a bat cave uh, environment, and it is a bat cave environment, um, I, I had it turned all the way down. The iris manual iris um, it has a dynamic iris you can use it if you want to use it i did notice it now and again on certain fade to blacks and um certain other scenes and certainly on the credits and stuff like that i think auto one was the uh, more noticeable than auto two but you know if you want to use them i'm not going to say don't use them but uh, personally i prefer the the manual iris because then i'm getting no fluctuations uh, in black level or gamma it's not messing about with the gamma um, when it's set manually. In terms of gamma, um, reasonable performance right across the board. It was, it was relatively flat at 2.4. Not got any major complaints. Black levels are, as you would expect with JVC, nice inky deep blacks and plenty of shadow detail there when set up correctly and used in, in a back cave. Light corners. This is when, normally you would notice it when it was uh, HDMI handshaking. So it would go to a black screen. You know, it'd cut the signal and then handshake before. It get, and during the handshake, you could notice that there were light corners, if you think about the 16 by 9 ratio. Um, each of the corners, it was a little bit lighter than it was in the middle. It didn't notice that at all when there was content on screen. Even really dark scenes that were close to black, um, like Oblivion with um, Morgan Freeman, um, you couldn't see the, the light corners um, during scenes like that. So nothing to worry about. You only see it during H- HDMI handshake. It may vary from unit to unit, um, but I doubt it. And it's been around on the JVCs for years. I mean, the X700, it's got light corners during HDMI handshake. Um, almost positive that your X3 will be the same, Steve. Yeah, uh, I think so, yeah. I mean, there's light edges, um, but you wouldn't notice it at all when you're actually watching content. No, no. no. It's um, The only thing that I did notice, and I, it's really noticeable in the X700, sample that I have um, and I did notice on the X7000 funnily enough the opposite side is that out of the image area that is projected there's a little bit of light seepage that hits the screen outside of um, on a scope screen by 69 it hits the screen outside the main image area and was noticeable again during handshake but 
once there was material on screen, you didn't see it at all. Only mention it for completeness because it's on the X700 and I noticed it on the X7000. I think I'm pretty much sure that's on every single JVC I've ever Pro- uh, Probably. That's yeah. probably the case. It's just that I've really noticed it on the because it stands out on the 700. Um, it was there on the 7000 a lot. A lot more subtle. Actually. That's when you're having when you're projecting a 1.85 to one ratio image yeah, onto on a scope ratio screen. screen, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and again, once you got 185 material actually playing, it's not there. You can't notice it. Even really dark scenes, again, it, it's just not there. So I couldn't find any issues. And when we're talking about resolution, I think I covered it when we covered the VW 520ES projector. You know, at normal viewing distances in my room from the same spot with uh, with either projector, it was a really hard task. To make out the extra resolution, it was other attributes of the image that highlighted the differences, such as the the darker blacks and better gamma on the JVC compared to the Sony. And the Sony had a a, a nicer color when calibrated, but it was really subtle. <laughs> How was the um, the native color space on on, on the JVC? Uh, Native is, is all right if you leave it alone. Obviously, if you use the CMS, then it undersaturates at 75, 50, 25. That's always been an issue. It's something I've highlighted in the review. It's something I will be feeding back um, to JVC. They need to get fixed because, you know, the Sony does it. It holds the points when you calibrate the CMS at 75, 15, 25. It doesn't undersaturate. The JVCs have always done that and it just needs some work, basically. Uh, I would imagine that they need to have a look at the lookup tables and look at uh, another way of implementing the uh, the CMS system. Um, the only other thing that was annoying was when you fed it a 4K signal so again, from the Fire TV uh, with Netflix 4K, as soon as you selected a 4K episode of, say, House of Cards, the screen went blank. It would say initialising for 4K playback on the Fire TV. The screen would go blank with, a, the obviously, the handshake. It would then come back. It would say it was doing um, 3840 by 2160, and then it would look like it had CMD turned full on, frame intabulation full on. Yet if you went into the menus and looked at CMD, it would say it was off. But what you had to do was then select CMD, select it, put it to full select, then set it to off, hit select again, and then it would actually switch it off. Yeah. Um, so you would get a 24 frames a second or whatever the material is that you're watching. It did it mainly with the Fire TV box when feeding a 4K signal. It also did it with 3D on my on the X5000. Which I was just coming on to. It did it with 3D as well. So it's a little bit of a bug there. Um, that should be fixable via firmware, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, so obviously we'll be feeding back on that one. And overall, if I was to, if it was my own money and I had to make the choice between the VW520 and the 7000, they're both absolutely brilliant machines, I'd go with the JVC just because A, two grand cheaper, B, it's fully uh, feature-proof in terms of what's coming out. The only issue would be HDR. And I think HDR is not as major an issue I think at this moment in time when it comes to projectors over um, flat panel devices. The flat panel devices they can do, well they've they've got the dynamic range there, they're far brighter than projectors anyway and um, it's, you know, that's where the battle's going to be for HDR and then it'll eventually move to projectors but I think projector wise you really need a, a laser light source I would imagine you need brighter than 1700 lumens which is what the JVC supposedly out of the box, I would think calibrated it was around about 1000 lumens when it was calibrated. Yeah. So you need the brightness there. So I don't think HDR, HDR is a big thing with the projectors, to be honest. It'd be nice if it, if it was there, but I don't think you're going to notice that big a leap. And certainly in the demonstrations that we've seen, Steve, with projectors and HDR, it's not as in your face as it is with uh, flat panel displays. It's nothing displays. like the same as it is with, um, with, with, um, with, well, with TVs, is it? I mean, just, you know, when your TVs are hitting 1,000 nits of um, 
on the, on the specular highlights than well, well no than, not even that i mean five or six hundred nits compared to what you're going to get out of yeah, a projector yeah. um you're not going to get anywhere close to that with a projector and what we've yeah. seen has been more subtle in terms of dynamic range and, and more in the black areas which yeah it might suit the jvcs it might help the sony sony projectors get even better with their black levels and i've got to say the gap between them isn't as big as it used to be in terms of black levels because they've gone for the extra brightness and the, the higher the higher black floor on on the jvc so you know if you're using that with a dynamic iris against the Sony, there's probably not that big a difference. The JVC will still look nicer, but you know, it's it's closing, that gap is closing, definitely. And having the two side by side in the same back cave room, um, that was noticeable, you know. Was the, the JVC um wider against DCI than the um the, the Sony? Uh, now you see what I didn't do was track them. I measured them, but I didn't track them seventy five, fifty, twenty five. I only measured the colour space. And the colour space does not have a lot in it, I mean, it, it appears that they're going to land at the correct coordinates. I think the JVC was 90%, 89, 90%, and the Sony was 85, if I remember correctly. I'm, this is off the top of my head because it's been a while since I looked at both reviews. Um, and we've had CES and other things sort of pushing that information out of my brain. But I think it's around that. So there's not a great deal of difference in terms of um, measured gamut. But of course, you know, measured gamut means nothing until you've got content to map that mm. to and to check that it's accurate um you know we could measure each point but again you know we've no mastered material um we've no reference material to actually check that against which makes things a little bit difficult going forward and that's going to be the case this year i think with our tv reviews and projector reviews um i think we're going to be on uh not necessarily a learning curve but looking at how we test and, and maybe refining our testing regime when it comes to these things because there's so many new variables coming in um, with HDR, with wider colour gamut, with the extra brightness. Um, it's going to be an interesting year when it comes to actually testing and, you know, where are we with calibration and where are we with, with other things when it comes to HDR and, and so on? Well, at the moment, I'm being perfectly honest here, we're not really sure, are we? No, no, it's a, it's a brave and slightly scary new world. Just one last question, Phil. Um, I mean, I haven't tested the X7000, but I was impressed with the 5000. Do you think that if you... You know, if you were tight on budget, you could go with a five thousand and still get um, the majority of the benefits you get from a seven thousand. I don't know, Steve. I haven't seen the five thousand. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you want to be me to be pedantic about, it. um, I, yeah, I think it's a a bargain at the price point. Um, the five thousand. If you have to get a projector at the moment, my advice would be go with the five thousand. See where things are in eighteen to eighteen months to twenty four months, and then look at, at further up and see where we are. I think this year, unless you have to replace, we're not going to make ourselves very popular with manufacturers with this uh, with this statement, but if you don't need to uh, update your projector, I'd probably hang on and, and wait and see where, I mean, see where things go. Better idea of where TVs are now this year, but I think projectors are definitely still up in the air a bit in terms of 4K support. Uh, light sources, maybe more laser later in the year. Um, HDR definitely is a big question mark at the moment, isn't it, in terms of projectors? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, definitely good advice there, Phil. Yeah, I'm not going to be popular, but then we're not around here to be popular. We're here to support our members, and um, yeah, don't buy a projector this year if you're if you're looking to future proof and, and you know to go with a new uh, Blu-ray, 4K Blu-ray, and so on. Hang on, see where things are at the end of the year would be my advice because we've got Cedia coming up at the end of the year. That's normally where you get the new models and new announcements and so on. So I would wait till then at least, and then see where the where the market's going. That's not to say that the VW520 
and the JVC X7000 and the X5000 are not good projectors. They are absolutely stonking machines. I can't believe the quality that we get these days at home. Um, it really is stunning when you think back to the days of... And I was thinking about it this week because I've just used the truss that's still attached to the cinema room um, ceiling that used to hold up. <laughs> that's going to be there till the house falls down. <laughs> it? <laughs> it used to hold up a 90 kilogram um, Barco 808 graphics uh, CRT projector. When you think back to the days of what, what we thought was great out of CRTs and then what, what we can actually get with digital projection nowadays, you know, the dynamic range that's there, the black levels that's there, the, the colour, you know, the, the sharpness or the lens, which is always an issue with, with CRTs, they always look soft, even um, when fed HD material. Yes, they had a, a nicer fade to black, but that was about it, to be honest. That's that's about the only thing that the CRTs had over and, that. And I they mean, were the size of a compact car. Oh, the size of a compact car. You had to you know go in and realign them um, almost every time you, you, you have a little Allen key for that film. They, you know, no, no, I did, no, no, did it by did it. It was all built into the um, into the remote control. Um, but you know, you had to do that every couple of days. It needed a good thirty minutes to an hour to warm up before you could use it and so on. So thinking about it, so that truss now holds two J, JBL um, control ones, which I spent uh, this morning and all of yesterday. <laughs> up a ladder um <laughs> rejigging the uh, the wall mounts that come with them to fit into the uh, into the truss and believe me these things are not going anywhere i was hanging from them <laughs> just to make sure they weren't going in they're not going anywhere um so they're now installed for atmos and um dtsx uh, reviews um so at least the truss came in handy now <laughs> It's been sitting there doing things since the crt came down but where we are home cinema wise and what we saw two weeks ago at see yet there's two weeks ago steve at CES, um, with where flat panels are going and where that technology is going, you know, we are so lucky. We really are. I mean, the quality is just outstanding. It really is. I think, yeah. I, I mean, to a certain extent, we're fast approaching the point now where the quality we're going to have at home is beginning to outstrip what's available at the cinema in some respects. And, and that's quite significant, isn't I think, it? I, mean, I think some of that's been true for a long time, Steve. It's just that the cinema's always been trying to keep up. And I think it's, it's finally got laser projection i think that's going to move it on significantly for for the cinema ex exhibition of film um but in terms of black levels it's always been really quite bad yeah. to be honest um always had better blacks at home and and obviously you've got a wider color space but we're going to have that at home soon as well so yeah it's taking the advantages away even immersive sound i mean dolby atlas was invented to get people back in the cinema it's only because it then had competitions from oro and then obviously dts bumping the gums because we still haven't seen anything you know, concrete from DTS, but yeah, you know, it's, it's taken two other companies to sort of push Dolby to take it into the home as well. So, um, mm. you know, that was supposed to be a theatrical system that made people go to the cinema. I think the the only people that can still say you get a better experience at the cinema, and 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 it maybe holds true in certain theatres, is IMAX, because they demand that the projectors have to be a certain brightness, and you know, the cinemas can't turn them down. It has to be the same experience each time. I mean, I was talking to. A very good friend of mine, well, my best mate actually, who I see about twice a year now because we live so far apart. But he's a general manager for uh, one of the big cinema chains, and and he was saying that you know uh, IMAX, they say that it has to be a certain volume, and when you got a full cinema, then that's fine because obviously, as you know, sound absorbs and and you know higher volume, it's it's not that big a thing if you got a full room. If there's only two of you sat in the in the cinema, which does happen from time to time, it is 
ear-achingly loud, but they can't turn it down because it has to be <laughs> at, at that sound level because IMAX say it has to be at that sound level. So, yeah, in terms of quality, it's great, isn't it, Ed? Uh, Sorry, him, I was Cut him out, cut him out. Um, yes, yes, it is. Um, it, it, it's quite something. I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's still, don't get me wrong, the actual quality of the hardware in, in, in these places has improved considerably. It still comes down as you might expect, to the quality of the actual mastering work that goes into the film. I mean, we had discussion, we thought Star Wars was, was pretty pretty sorted. Um, on occasions, seeing things like the Fast and the Furious films, actually in the cinema they can just be messy and loud. They actually work sonically better in the home. But, you know, yeah, things have come on a long I, way I've, from where I've they were. I've never, never seen one of those movies, Ed, so I couldn't possibly comment. Oh, you're missing well, out. You know, that's, that's, you know, I can't be responsible for what you do and don't get up to, Phil. <laughs> I've been listening to record players for most of the weekend because <laughs> I am at the cutting, cutting edge. edge of Ed, I would, I would, I would have put my mortgage on that being the case. Yeah, I mean it's weird. It's in so many ways. I'm, you know, kind of big into technology and stuff. I mean, I've just got a new pair of glasses, and the frames are the same as what Pagani uses. It's carbo titanium, which may or may not make them fractionally harder for my son to snap in half. Well, you can, you can get them in spec savers, do you? Uh, I got them at Costco, actually. Really? Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, they're great. But uh, and and so many other things. I I love love gadgets and things like that. But this weekend, it's just been about being about vinyl and Galaxy Quest. I got that in as well. But no, it's uh, yeah. I, I don't know. Still, still way behind the times, mate. So that's a JVC projector. <laughs> um. So anyway. Uh, putting speakers on the ceiling I know a lot of people won't get away with that um, I have put it off as long as I possibly could to be honest just because I knew it was going to be a nightmare job but also it's a good job that room's a bat cave because the, the wiring I couldn't quite get high enough up on my ladders to, to, to put clips in so I've had to use gaffer tape <laughs> this is sounding like a quality <laughs> install this is just temporary until I can get longer ladders and, and somebody who's happy up heights, because I'm not happy up heights. The fact that I've, I've gone up ladders and put these speakers up is a miracle, basically. I mean, ask anybody that knows me, I do not like heights. Um, so I've had to he use, does not like heights. <laughs> <laughs> I've had to use uh, a little bit of gaffer tape just to hold where it is. Where I can reach it on the wall, it's, it's perfectly straight and it's perfectly clipped into the wall and I'll, I'll get covering for it and you'll never notice it. It's just where I couldn't reach, I've just had to get a <laughs> bit of gaffer tape in the hand and then stretch it as far as I could and then just slap it <laughs> onto the ceiling. So You must have quite high ceilings. Yes, I'm yes. Not, I'm yeah. not going to make a cheap shot at you being short, <laughs> but nonetheless, I mean, no, I, I can... Well, well, no, I can... I mean, my, my house is, is pokey. I mean, I can, I can touch the ceiling... No, I've, I've got eight, yeah, eight and a half feet. Oh, blimey. Yeah, it's, it's, an old, it's an old place, so high ceilings, you know. And it's even got picture rail where, where the picture rails used to be. So it's an old house and it's high ceilings. So, yeah, that's that's the issue. I'm on the top run of the ladder and I'm stretching, which is not a good thing. And, uh, yeah, I'm short, but not short as Steve. Um, so, anyway, moving on. Um, immersive audio. So I'll be able to partake in Atmos and DTSX. Um, because the JBL control ones, they're only 49 quid at the minute. That absolute bargain. Um, they and, are spectacular value, those little yeah. speakers. They really are. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I bought a pair of those and some speaker cable. I think it came to about 80 quid for an update, which is, you know, not as not as much as... as uh, I thought I was going to have to pay out, so yeah, excellent. Might even add some at the front for presence speakers. Yeah. Oh. Um, and what will you be reviewing with this new set? 
Well, um, um, yeah, so hopefully we're going to have some AVRs and processors and amplifiers and stuff coming through with Atmos and, and DTSX. And I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy some films. I, I, I draw the line at the Transformers and um, and the, the like, but I'll, I'll, I hear John Wick's got a good soundtrack on it. Yeah, so I'll, John I'll Wick's get definitely worth getting, as is Mad Max Fury Road. So. I'll, get, I'll get that as well. I, I might even get them on 4K Blu-ray. Um, I've ordered The Martian already on 4K Blu-ray. So, ah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. What, from the UK? No, 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 Amazon.com. All oh, right, okay. Yeah, but I thought I may as well, and then I've got something sitting there that, that when I finally... But you can Blu-ray anyway, can't you, until, until such time as I don't, you I, Now, you see, this, this is another reason I bought it, because I don't know if the Blu-ray is going to be region-coded, because I know that the 4K Blu-ray will not be region-coded. Indeed. Um, but the Blu-ray might still be. It's Fox, isn't it? So it might be. Yeah. Which is another reason I bought it, just to see if that is the case. That answers a question. Anyway, moving on to Massive Audio. Um, what are the latest developments, Steve? Because you've been uh, you've been talking to the people in the know. We have. We have. Well, we, we met with, with Dolby, although in fairness, Dolby were very much pushing other things than, than Atmos to do. I mean, they were pushing their new AC4 um, codec and also obviously pushing Dolby Vision. They were also demonstrating Dolby Atmos, but I guess because Dolby Atmos has been available to the consumer in their home for well over a year now, that was less of a priority than the other things that they were showing at CES. And also they've got a relatively good um, sort of, you know, um, catalogue of discs now. There's, a, I think, about 40. So that's 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 a very decent uh, catalogue. And some of them are good films too, some of them like Mad Max, Fury Road, that sort of stuff. So they, they were, I think, very yeah, sort of confident as far as Atmos is concerned. They did demo it. They, they demoed it uh, twice for us, once with the YSP5600 Yamaha Atmos in- enabled and DTSX at some point uh, enabled soundbar. Gotta say, not that well set up because uh, I have heard that demo and I believe you have as well, Ed, at IFA, and I thought it was bloody impressive. I thought it was rubbish uh, at CES. Uh, it, it, was, well it, was been... f- it was far more impressive in the room that Warren uh, that we're speaking to was in because they were demoing it in two rooms. In the room that we had it in, there was no back wall to it. Um, and it was all false walls anyway. Yeah, yeah. it so, was not the best environment no, to try and use no. that soundbar. The uh, We also had a demonstration where they actually had, were they upward firing speakers? They were upward firing speakers, yep. weren't they? Yeah. Again, it wasn't the most, it wasn't an ideal environment, um, full ceilings, that kind of stuff. It really wasn't, the, they were not the best environment for them to demonstrate um, either the soundbar or an, an, um, an upward firing Atmos configuration, to be honest. I, I know it sounds better than that because I've heard it plenty of times at home. I know, I know it does. We will be getting the um, YSP5600 in quite soon for review, and we'll test that in an environment which will be more appropriate for its uh, technology. Who's doing that? M- me. Oh, okay, fine. Why? <laughs> I'm just wondering. Yeah, I should be doing it. Be well, obviously, I can do. compare it to actual Atmos with yes. overhead speakers, so we'll see how well. But certainly the demo that they did in... Uh, in yeah, but uh, you're not the only one with overhead speakers. No, now, no. You know? well, you can do it if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> No, anyway so that's that atmos i think atmos is fairly well people are familiar with it it's well established it's, it's got an excellent uh, i think it's got something like um they did send some statistics out during ces something like 60 different products with atmos in it now and um over over 100 discs worldwide of which 40 um i'm familiar with but also stuff in places like china that kind of thing um, so a decent catalogue of discs, uh, plenty of um, uh, processors and amplifiers, etc., that can now decode it. So I think Atmos is well established. Um, DTSX, unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to meet with them because we, we had um, an overlapping meeting that we had to rearrange. So we didn't get to meet them. Uh, but let's be honest, they have been a bit AWOL 
so far um, since announcing the their big announcement in April. It still hasn't actually been uh, delivered to the consumer. I haven't had a chance to, to experience it with a beta test. The uh, final version of the Denon um, upgrade is coming out. The firmware update releases on 28th of January. So that will actually be available to um, X7200 owners uh, on in, in, what, in 10 days. Oh, well, actually eight days after this podcast goes up. So very soon that will actually be available to the public to try. And basically the configuration is the same as Atmos. So it's very similar. And then the other thing, obviously, is, is, is Aura 3D. And we did get a chance to meet with Borford again. Um, since we'd seen him the year before, uh, there's been, uh, well, they've actually had a, a Blu-ray release, which was, which, ah, Mark, when I was interviewing him, I said pixels instead of pixels. Oh, so that was a comment about Rouge, was it? Yeah, pixels. <laughs> oh, why not say that? It's, so um, it's more exotic. Yeah, but the thing is, <laughs> thing is, Mark, it's in that interview, so we'll be able to, um, you know, keep, oh, keep that bringing really that up happy, again. Thanks. Yeah, it's in the video. <laughs> um, Yes, uh, so Pixels has been released um, in the UK with a, with an Aura 3D soundtrack. It's also available in the US, interestingly, with a, with an Atmos soundtrack. And I plan to do a comparison of the two and, and see if there's any noticeable difference or which one might might and, prefer. And that, also, that will happen because I was there when you bought the disc. Uh, yes, you were, and I also got I also got hold of the German uh, copy of Red Tails, um, which has wow. an Aura track as well. Uh, no, unfortunate film. So some but, quality filmmaking for you to sit through there. <laughs> Uh, you are, that's I, I tell you what, I suffer for for, my, for for this job I really do. Um, yeah, so, whatever. <laughs> so anyway, um, um, Wilfred did sort of intimate that there might be other Blu-ray announcements coming, but he he wanted to leave that to the studios to do rather than him. Fair enough. But we did get a chance to talk about you know obviously with Atmos and effectively DTSX sharing a similar configuration in terms of you can do a seven point one point four or whatever for Atmos and you can do something exactly the same uh, or you can do something similar for um, for DTSX. Uh, I said, what about your system? Because clearly they use, um, Auro has height speakers above the front uh, front speakers and the side surrounds. Um, there are other alternatives too, but that's the main one, like a 9.1 system basically with four height speakers front and rear. And Wilfred's view, uh, and I guess he would say this, but it makes sense to me as well, is you know he would prefer it if people used his configuration because that obviously works perfectly for Oro, but also he thinks it does translate quite well to listening to Atmos. Well, we've been but- saying this for a long time on this podcast, and I've brought up numerous times that his explanation of you don't have an ear on the top of your head is is a good one to go with, because you know, um, in real life you don't have reflections that come from above you, and in the vast majority of cases, even in concerts and stuff like that where you're in an arena, you're getting more from the sides and up to about 30 degrees than you are above you. Yeah. Um, so it makes absolute sense that that you know for it to sound natural, um, the speakers should be at thirty degrees. Now I'll be buggered if I'm now going to go and take the speakers down and put them at thirty degrees <laughs> on the table after spending all weekend putting them up. But um, <laughs> yeah, there's only so much gaffer tape a man can have. Isn't exactly. Um, but the other thing is that there's more Atmos available than there is Oro. And and if it ever got to the stage where where there was two systems, then I think. You know, if you're using uh, small speakers like that anyway, you could probably set up for both and just, you know, unplug and plug in when you're... Well, the way I've got my speaker set up can apply to both layouts, both configurations. What I did was I set up an 11-channel processing setup configuration on, on the X7200 and um, did all the, you know, the, the calibration, etc., and, and auto EQ and everything. And then what I noticed was if you played... an um, an Atmos uh, demo disc with with this you know with the test tones, 
um, it was fine. But when you played the Oro one, um, the front two heights were fine, but the rear two heights were silent. And, and why is that? And apparently that was part of, Denim were asked to implement that by Oro um, and by Atmos from their own perspectives. Because uh, Oro's view was you shouldn't be using uh, overhead uh, speakers for your rear um, you know, your rear heights. However, uh, when the DTS upgrade comes out on the 28th, there will also be a new update for Oro because Wilfred has decided that it probably makes more sense to be a bit more flexible. And so you can now <laughs> do that. <laughs> so you'll be able to run. Basically, what it means is if, you, if you're careful about where you position the speakers, you can run all three uh, audio formats from one configuration, which, let's be honest, makes perfect sense because you don't want to be sticking even more speakers up on your ceiling or on your walls if That's you can avoid it. Only taken yeah. as an embarrassingly long time to get there. <laughs> <laughs> it has a little bit, but I'm, I'm, I've got to say I'm looking forward to it. I haven't obviously, uh, I don't have any um, Atmos receiver or processor in at the moment. I should have this week because we're getting the CXA fifty one hundred from Yamaha along with the processor in. <laughs> Sorry. You're getting a beast of a processor. Yeah, and along with the MXA 5000 amp, uh, which is an 11-channel amp. That's going to weigh a bit, Phil. Yep, <laughs> it is just a bit. Struggle getting them up the stairs, I think. But um, really looking forward to that. The last sort of pre-pro thing I had in was... Um, uh, what was it? Oh, was it the uh, no, NAD? The, the NED, NAD um, system, which was a stonking system, but it didn't have Atmos or... Uh, DTSX and so on. So I'm looking forward to getting that in and um, should be getting some of the M and K S300s in as well, around about the same time. So um, some high-end sound in the home cinema here, hopefully, over the next couple of weeks and uh, really looking forward to that. I've just seen that the uh, eyeball ceiling mount for the Ellipse on Planet M is back in production, which would technically allow me to have... Are you feeling left out now, Ed? Well, I'm just <laughs> looking at it. It's just, the only thing that I could do that's notionally quite interesting is I could have exactly the same speaker in every single position other than subwoofer, obviously, mm -hmm. yeah. which could be quite amusing. And also, yes. it just looks a bit tidier than sticking a pair of JBLs to your ceiling with tape. No, the JBLs weren't stuck to the ceiling with tape, Ed. They, um, they're, they're that would be really to, dangerous. They are connected to a truss which held a 90 kilogram uh, CRT projector. They ain't moving. They ain't going anywhere. The speaker cable. I had a different to, story. <laughs> I had to attach that with with tape for the time being until I get a larger ladder so I can get up there and, and properly, you know, attach Make them. But hey, you know, I always have gaffer tape around because it's dead useful stuff. It really yeah, is. No, no, I quite agree. My house is built on that. Gaffer tape is blue. <laughs> <laughs> blue tack. Uh, blue tack. That's blue tack's my weapon of choice. <laughs> <laughs> so flexible. Oh, it's all getting a bit sticky here now, isn't it? Right. Uh, I think we need to move things on uh, because time is moving on. Um, we have the Philips TV in at the moment. Steve, you're going to keep this brief uh, because the uh, the TV hasn't been reviewed yet. The review will go up soon. But just give us your first quick thoughts on this and why we've got this in now because January and February are usually barren months when it comes to new TVs. Yeah, no. I mean, uh, unfortunately for Philips, their implementation of... I mean, not the, I mean, it didn't just affect them. It affected Sony degree as well. Their implementation of Android TV has significantly delayed their, their TV lineup. So... Um, this is the 8601, which we saw at um, IFA and was supposed to have come out um, before Christmas. And it, it only just hit, I think it arrived in the stores maybe just after Christmas and into January. So it's it's, it's coming pretty late. Um, and that's going to really work against it, unfortunately, because clearly it's coming late 
after a CES when there's been some significant announcements and changes in terms of um, in terms of TV tech, uh, and I think it's going to struggle a little bit. It's a it's a real shame. It's a real shame if they got it out quicker last year. I think it would have been a stonking telly at the time. It's a beautifully designed TV. It's the one with the little detachable side speakers. Phil, do you remember? Yep. Um, nice little sound solution. Sounds great. It looks great. The picture's very nice. Uh, nice and accurate. Um, but doesn't support HDR. Uh, it, it is 3D. But doesn't support HDR. Um, its color space isn't that wide, uh, and you know it's going to struggle against you know things like TVs now being. I mean, it, you know, it's actually incredibly bright. So it's a real shame it doesn't support HDR because it goes up to well over 500 nits, um, and, and the color space was about I think it was 82, 83 percent of DCI. So you know it wouldn't have been qualify as a, as a premium UHD experience, and I think that's going to work against it uh, going forward because obviously the new TVs are going to be coming out in the next couple of months. But, but depending on how they price it, now it's priced at 1,700 quid for the 55-inch. Uh, if it can be priced well, it might still move, but it's it's going to struggle because it's, it's going to be seen as old-fashioned now. Well, and I, I, I think to qualify that, though, Steve, it's going to be seen as old-fashioned by a certain sector of the market. I think there's there's a lot of people out there that don't know HDR yeah, and probably would never <laughs> have HDR and and not interesting. So as long as it does the basics right, which I'm assuming it does, Absolutely, yeah. In terms of, you know, uh, as a 4K TV, um, you know, upscaling uh, full HD content, I thought it looked lovely. It was a really nice picture. It's a well-made, solid TV. It's a a really nice design. I like the design. It's attractive. It's got some lovely features in it. The patchal speakers are a nice touch as well. Uh, It's got a lot of potential. I just think, unfortunately, because of the timing, it might struggle a little bit, particularly amongst the enthusiast market. But you're right, Phil, amongst the general public, it's probably going to go down very well. Hopefully, we'll still get to see the 9600, which is their flagship TV that's been significantly delayed. Um, I don't think we did I don't see that at EFA as well, and that did look stonking. I don't did think they we will. That at CES? No. They didn't mention it in either release. If, if I was Philips at this moment in time, I would bury that model number. I would make sure that the, the 9600 is updated with HDR and all the rest of it, and then is relaunched this year. Yeah, yeah it's a premium UHD. It's a premium like UHD, that. yeah. yeah. I, would, that, I if that's I, what they're going to do. Yeah, I think that's what they're going to do, because it's been pulled from the, the listings, hasn't it? So Yeah, because again, if you released it now, this late stage, it would be treated as a last year's TV, even though you know I think it was a pretty advanced television in its own right. It's better to just release it as a new TV now, because you, know, you can't be releasing 2015 models in January. Uh, you're going to get, you know, you're going to yeah, struggle I, against yeah. either big, deep discounts on on 2015 models from other manufacturers, or you're going to be up against the new lineups. So. Yeah, I mean, it's not like vinyl we're talking about here. Where <laughs> you, know, you got eight years but to overall, eight six zero one is a lovely telly. Uh, I like it. Cool stuff, right? We need to move on because we're well over time. So we're uh, going to move on to movies in a sec. Okay, so moving on to movie reviews very swiftly. What's at the cinema at the moment, Steve? At the moment is Creed, which is a kind of a rocky sequel with um, the son of, of Apollo Creed, um, Carl Weathers' character, um, who's a boxer now. And he's, and, and um, Rocky Balboa, played by Sylvester Sloan, obviously, is his mentor and uh, trainer. Um, I haven't seen it, but actually, I really want to see it because reading Kamari's review, it sounded really good. It did, um, didn't I like it? the idea that there's a, a single-take fight scene in it, which sounds very cool and, and technically yeah. brilliant. So, no, that that did uh, sound interesting. I, I had that. I saw the the trailer. I can't remember where I saw the trailer now, and I thought, oh, I'll be avoiding that one like a plague. But actually, having read her review and also seen some of the comments on the forums, it's like, well, maybe I'll give that one a go. And apparently, Scott Sloan. Sorry, Stallone does seem to get all of his silliness these days out in the Expendables movies, and the other stuff he's doing often can be surprisingly uncrap. 
Apparently, he's very good in this. He won the Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor, his first award ever as an actor, I believe. Um, no, didn't he get something for the original Rocky? Uh, he got, that was uh, a writer. His writer, wasn't it? Oh, right, yeah, fine. He was nominated as a writer. Um, no, it's, uh, it's his first, I believe it's his first act, acting award. Um, and apparently, he's really good in it. Um, so that's interesting. Uh, what I actually went to go and see was The Revenant, which is the new film from... Alejandro Iñárritu, who made Birdman, which won Oscar for Best Film last right, year. Right. Okay. Uh, so, so a lot of lot of hype, a lot of buzz surrounding this movie at the minute. Cars gave it ten out of ten. There's a few people on the thread also giving it ten out of ten. Mm-hmm. I know you're going to give us a straight answer, Steve, because cause you're heartless, um, and you will give us a, a genuine opinion. What did you think? I thought that as a piece of filmmaking, it is absolutely astonishing. Okay. Good enough for absolutely me. Absolutely astonishing. Good enough as a for story, me. Right, you can, you, yeah, I'll go to the cinema and see it. Oh, you do, You have to go and see it, Phil. Uh, absolutely astonishing piece of filmmaking. Um, it's a grim, grim story. Uh, and uh, DiCaprio's character has a quite uh, really overdeveloped sense of self, of self, of, of, you know, um, of survival because um, he goes through absolute hell in a sort of revenge to try and get the guy who's, um, you know, wronged him. I don't want to give too much away about the plot. Well, the plot's fairly basic. It's more like a man against man and against the elements. But the photography in it and the film, I mean, there are scenes where you sit there and think, how did they do that? There's a, for example, there's a, it's well advertised. There's a bear attack in it. There's absolutely gobsmacking. I mean, it was, it was advertised as something else initially. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's a bit unfair, um, but you know, obviously it's a CGI bear. But I mean, and this is a film where realism is. I mean, the film was shot for real in tri- quite difficult circumstances and in chronological order which is unusual and um so you know if you're going to have cgi in the film it has to be really good because it, if it doesn't look real it's going to bugger up everything else and, and it does look completely real it's, it's brilliantly done there's a scene where he's being chased on a horse and the camera goes with him and the horse over the edge of a cliff which is just you know you think blimey how does he do that uh, there's a whole single take fight scene uh with people getting stabbed and fingers being cut off and this sort of stuff that's in just one single take that you can you think that's really impressive there's long takes it's gorgeously shot it's on the uh, and the alexi um the the Ari alexa 65 i feel it's six and a half k yeah um, um it was shot on that camera and um uh just all natural light um yeah i mean what, what i've is, seen so far does look absolutely beautiful it but... is as uh, a piece of filmmaking it is quite astonishing and the performances are fantastic in it although i think capio win the oscar for basically the most for, for any most of them crawling around on the floor and grunting which is <laughs> interesting well, it's, but, a bit, uh, it's, it's i think it's a bit timey he, he got one though is it not well, you know, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think this is his best performance, but he is the best actor of his generation and well overdue for a, a, an Academy Award, in my opinion. Um, it's yeah, it's it's absolutely worth seeing on the biggest screen possible. It it is a quite astonishing piece of filmmaking and uh, and, and and a compelling story. And um, uh, if nothing else, it just shows you how horrible life must have been like on the frontier back in like, the mid eighteenth century, nineteenth yeah. century. Okay, moving things on quickly. Uh, what's opening up this weekend? Keeping it brief. This week. Uh, we have The Big Short, which is uh, um, based on a true story about a bunch of journalists who basically um, shorted the banks in the financial crisis back in 2008, uh, directed by Adam McKay. So it's got an amazing cast. It's got like Brad Pitt, Ryan Gosling, um, Steve Carell, um, kind of drama slash comedy. I'm definitely going to go and see if only because I'm interested, you know, that's my past. So I will be interested to see how that's played out and how accurate it is. <laughs> There's also Our Brand is Crisis, which is a comedy drama starring Sandra Bullock um, about PR people and also Ride Along 2, sequel to Ride Along with um, Ice Cube and Kevin Hart, where, you know, they basically are a bunch of cops. Okay, so um, Blu ray is coming out this week. We've got Everest and we also got Sherlock there and Bonnemouth Pride. I watched that on iPlayer in HD. No need to go and buy the Blu ray. Um, 
wasn't that great, was it? No, bit disappointing, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, um, I, I was. I, I felt like what I was watching was a very long, um, sort of um, like prologue to the next season. Yeah, yeah. Which, which is basically what it was, wasn't it? It's, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it, it was very much um, almost as bad as Bobby Ewing stepping out the shower. <laughs> It was, although interestingly, going back to Dolby Atmos for a second, the, the Blu-ray does have a Dolby Atmos soundtrack, as does Everest. Oh, oh well, then Steve, I'll go and buy it then. <laughs> Everest might be worth getting though, actually, because at the cinema, I remember thinking when the big storm hits, it's some serious action going on there, so that should be quite good in Atmos. That's, that's um, supposed to be a laugh a minute as well. Oh, I, I do remember your wife's <laughs> review of Everest. Was it grim as fuck? Yes, <laughs> that, that was works? the basic, basic crux of that. They should put that in the box, shouldn't they? <laughs> Grimmer's S star yeah. star K. <laughs> that's actually a big recommendation for me. I love. Well, definitely yeah, give it Revenant then. Yeah, 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 that's well up my street. Revenant's right up your street if that's the case, and is, as is Everest in that case. Um, also, Blu-ray releases next week. Uh, a big, big, big movie. Um, can't be underestimated how powerful this movie is. Bad Boys Two <laughs> finally coming to first time uh, on Blu-ray to Blu-ray. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and some other film called Legend. Yeah, the, the Ronnie Cray, Reggie Cray pick with um, Tom Hardy, who's also in The Revenant. I, I Bad Boys 2, I mean, a lot of people diss. I, I, I've, I've got to say, it, it's one of my guilty pleasures is Bad Boys and yeah. Bad Boys 2. Totally. I just I love them. Absolutely love them to bits. They're, they're so over the top, and how Martin Lawrence ever got his name above Will Smith's in the lineup, I think you said that a few well, Bad months Boys ago. Two, yeah, when yeah. Bad Boys Two was made, Bullstiff was definitely, <laughs> arguably the, biggest, the biggest star, star in the world. world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Martin Lawrence still had his name above but... him on the on the credits, which is something. But else. it's a fun movie. Uh, it's got a fantastic yeah. car chase in it. Uh, yeah, fantastic really cars cheap. in it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, really, really. I mean, uh, that's just filmmaking. It's got every cliche of his style of filmmaking in there. To every camera move that you could ever think of, that, that, that'd be used is there every explosion is in your face it's just fantastic just interestingly apparently he reigns it in quite a bit on his new film 13 hours so, so interesting to see michael bay making something slightly serious for a change i don't think it'll work <laughs> if, it's, if it's not got robots and explosions in it anymore i don't think he's interested but on that bombshell <laughs> is it a bombshell or or not on that damn squib you vote <laughs> Right, yes, I think we've uh, we've kind of outstayed our welcome yet again this week. Thanks very much for listening. Uh, as always, you can leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you enjoyed the show, and uh, we will read your names out. We'll do that at the end of every month. Um, so you have uh, until next week to get your five-star ratings in, and uh, we'll mention them next week. Uh, so that's it for the podcast. My thanks to Steve Withers. By Grabthar's Hammer, by the Sons of Warvan, you shall be avenged. Mark Hodgkinson. Give him a hand. He's British. And Ed Silly. I was an actor once, damn it. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook. And like I say, uh, give us the five-star ratings. We'll mention you next week. I'm Phil Hinton. Thanks very much for listening. And we'll see you again next Wednesday. (laughs) 